A transcript is available for free on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the episode's description. For our very first story, we're going to look into how we can reduce our city's impact on the planet. While cities account for less than 2% of the Earth's surface, they are responsible for over 60% of greenhouse gas emissions, according to a UN report. Most of the electricity and heating consumed in cities are generated by burning fossil fuels like coal, gas and oil. Burning these fossil fuels generates greenhouse gas emissions like carbon dioxide. But another big problem in cities are cars. Cars powered by fossil fuels also emit greenhouse gases like carbon monoxide or nitrogen oxide, and they emit fine particles. These particles are very harmful. They are so small that they can penetrate deep into our lungs. So by emitting greenhouse gases and fine particles, cars are big contributors to air pollution. Air pollution can cause respiratory and cardiovascular diseases, and children are especially vulnerable to it because their lungs and other organs are still developing. About 4.2 million people die every year because of outdoor air pollution. But at the same time, people still need to be able to get to work, to shop for food, or have access to other daily essentials. So what can cities do to enable the inhabitants to live in a healthier environment, all the while reducing their impact on the planet? The clock is ticking. The Norwegian archipelago is warming quicker than any other place. Getting informed on climate change can sometimes feel overwhelming and depressing. I definitely suffer from climate anxiety. But the good news is that there are plenty of solutions and inspiring initiatives happening all around the world. My name is Nagisa. My name is Abby, and, and you're, you're listening, listening to Planet Now, a podcast that explores empowering stories to rebuild our hope for the future. Part of the solution to cut greenhouse gas emissions in cities is to reduce energy consumption, transition towards renewable energies, and change building and transport infrastructures. More and more cities around the world are trying to introduce new concepts to encourage their inhabitants to get out of their cars and choose low-emission transports. The 15-minute city concept is growing in popularity. Most cities are currently designed around cars, but 15-minute cities put people at the center of urban planning. The idea is to make most daily essentials and services like work, shopping, education, leisure, or healthcare accessible within a 15-minute walk or bike ride. By putting people at the center of urban planning instead of cars, it removes the need to drive for many everyday trips. This reduces car traffic, which lowers greenhouse gas emissions, air pollution, and increases citizens' health. A good example of a 15-minute city is Paris. Most Parisians have easy access to food, shops, schools, cafes, bakeries, or pharmacies. Increasing the number of cycle lanes is also a key part of the 15-minute city project. In Paris, the last few years have seen more and more people taking up cycling and an increase in the number of car-free streets. Some programs have also been launched to encourage local food production in the French capital. Urban farms have been popping up on rooftops, disused train stations, or underground parkings. On the other hand, the French capital lacks green spaces or healthcare facilities, and many citizens need more than 15 minutes to commute to their job. But the city aims to reduce its emissions by 100% by 2050, and thus reach the goal of zero emissions in Paris. 
There are many other examples of cities trialing their own versions, like Barcelona, where car-free areas are being created, and Buenos Aires, which is working to bring green spaces, fresh markets, and recycling points to every neighborhood. For our next story, we're moving to the US East Coast. You may have seen some shocking pictures of dead whales lying on the beach with New York skyscrapers in the background. Every year, dead whales are found washed up on the US East Coast, and these tragic deaths are the result of ship strikes. A ship strike is when a boat collides with marine animals, things like whales, dolphins, sharks, sea turtles, or other sea animals. The ships are so large that it can take them miles to change direction, meaning that they can't avoid the whales, and that's if they're able to see them at all. Whales struggle to avoid these ships because they've evolved for millions of years in oceans where they didn't exist. Unfortunately, in most cases, the strike is fatal, and many more whales are being hit than we notice because whales usually sink to the ocean floor when they die. The problem is that the shipping industry is worth around $4 trillion per year, and it transports thousands of everyday items that we all use, things like jeans to food and toys, so it's a really complex issue to solve. According to organisations like the Whale Conservancy, one of the best ways to reduce the risk of collision is to separate shipping lanes from places where whales are. Many shipping routes pass directly through the breeding or feeding grounds of endangered whales, so organisations are working on convincing shipping companies to change their shipping routes. There are also some other strategies that can help too. These include making journeys in winter when the whales are less active, and also limiting the speed of ships. Reducing the speed of ships has been shown to reduce the risk of collisions with marine animals, and it also reduces CO2 emissions and other air pollutants. So it's a good solution for both animals and the climate. Let's travel all the way to Indonesia for this next story. More precisely, to the island of Peri. The island of Peri lies in a precarious position. Situated at an average of 1.5 meter above sea level, it is on the front lines of the climate crisis. Extreme flooding is threatening to submerge the island and make life for the people there almost impossible. For this reason, four Indonesians are taking the world's largest manufacturer of building materials, Holcim, to court over their alleged role in the climate crisis. They are demanding that the Swiss cement giant cut its carbon emissions 43% by 2030 as well as paying a loss and damage fund to Perry. Since 1950, the company has emitted more than 7 billion tons of carbon dioxide. This lawsuit is one of the first of its kind, and it is part of a growing movement of countries in the global south, demanding climate reparations from countries in the global north. The finance would help historically low-emission places, like the island of Perry, to adapt to the consequences of climate change. Have you ever heard of Forever Chemicals? For our next story, we're going to talk about these chemicals. You might never have heard of them, but you've probably been exposed to them. Forever chemicals, also known as PFASs, are chemicals put in hundreds of products like food packaging, clothing, pesticides, cosmetics, personal care products, non-stick pans, firefighting foam, microwave popcorn bags, carpets, paints, and many others. These chemicals then end up in our food, in the environment, in drinking water, and they can linger in the human body when consumed. It's been proved that they are linked to certain cancers, liver damage and pregnancy complications. And studies in the US have shown that most people in the country have PFAS in their blood. The Environmental Protection Agency has proposed the first national restrictions on these forever chemicals in drinking water. According to them, this regulation could prevent thousands of deaths 
and reduce tens of thousands of illnesses caused by these forever chemicals. And while waiting for governments to adopt more regulation policies, there are many things that you can do to reduce your exposure to these toxic chemicals. Things like avoiding packaged food, especially fast food, replacing non-stick cookware with stainless steel, cast iron or ceramic cookware, avoiding clothing, luggage, sport equipment, furniture, rugs, bedding or other items labelled as stain-resistant or waterproof. Instead, you can choose products with eco-labels or PFAS-free labels. Cosmetics and personal care products also frequently contain PFAS. You can avoid waterproof products and check labels for ingredients that include the words fluoro or perfluoro. Activated carbon filters or other water filters have also shown to be effective at decreasing the amount of chemicals in your water. We're moving to Haiti in the Caribbean Sea. For years now, Haiti has been going through economic and political crises, marked by protests and violence. The country has a difficult past with French colonialism and plantation slavery, which exploited its people and the natural environment. At the end of the 18th century, after a successful slave rebellion, Haiti gained independence from France. But in return, France made generations of Haitians pay for their freedom. For centuries onwards, the country struggled with crippling debts, corruption and hunger. According to the FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization, last year 37% of Haiti's population were in need of immediate food assistance. This represents 4.3 million people. And the current political situation is still turbulent. But a recent investigation has revealed that there is hope in a solution that could revitalize the economies of rural areas and empower smallholder farms. This solution is called agroecology. Agroecology, unlike conventional agriculture, is a farming practice that reduces environmental impacts. Specifically, it means understanding the different elements of an ecosystem instead of always relying on chemicals, promoting crop rotations and crop diversity instead of monocultures, leaving crop residue to increase soil fertility instead of burning it, etc. In total, agroecology reduces the emissions due to farming, it recycles resources, and it also prioritizes local supply chains. In Haiti, about 9,900 farmers have been adopting agroecological practices in the last few years. They replace chemical fertilizers, pesticides or herbicides with natural farming solutions. The results of this transition show that agroecological practices led to an impressive increase in food productivity, and farmers who adopted agroecological practices had on average a doubling in profits per hectare compared to conventional farmers. They were also environmental benefits, like less soil erosion and more carbon stored in the soil. Extending this practice to the rest of smallholder farmers in Haiti, which represents about 1 million people, could have very beneficial effects on the country's economic growth, its natural resources, and the local communities. Agroecology could be one key element in fighting against food insecurity and poverty in the country. Every week, we'll finish with a pretty amazing fact about our planet, a planet wonder. Did you know that humpback whales are a species of whale that only eat for six months of the year? To pack on the pounds during that time, one of their techniques for feeding is a special way of catching lots of fish at once. It's called bubble net feeding. Working as a group, they encircle a shoal of fish and blow bubbles to trap the fish against the surface of the water. Then they can swim upwards from underneath the fish 
towards the surface with their mouths wide open. This fascinating technique isn't instinctive, meaning that it has been taught and passed down through whale generations. Planet Now is a Kibo production created by Abigail Wilkin and me, Nagisa Morimoto. If you would like to help us present more stories like these, please check out the Patreon link in the episode description. You can also support us by leaving a review and sharing this podcast with your close ones. And don't forget to subscribe if you don't want to miss out on next week's episode. Thanks for listening and we hope to see you soon.